that not many of us like taking a test. I, I'm sometimes even afraid of taking an eye test. Um, I had to go and have one a couple of weeks ago and I failed. I failed my eye test and I have to wear multifocals. Um, that's just showing my age. Um, I, I think we all feel a little bit stressed when it comes to taking tests. Uh, Spiritual for Voyo this morning, he's in the middle of trials, his matric trials exams. Um, he's got art tomorrow and uh, history on Friday and that's, that's him done for trials. So he spent the last two and a half weeks and then of course he's got finals coming up in, I think he starts middle of, uh, beginning of November. So Spiritual for poor old Voyo this morning. But any tests can be stressful, right? Uh, driving tests are rather stressful. Um, school tests of any kind are stressful. Um, most recently, the whole idea of medical tests have become stressful, particularly the COVID-19 issue. Um, and I know that several in our church have had to go through the COVID-19 tests, and apparently they're not that exciting. Mark Gaines would tell me when he had to do it, they, they, they shoved the thing down his throat. So I know some people have gone up the nose, and he had one down the throat. He said, just the struggle to, to hold back the gag reflex. It was just awful. And he actually, he actually said to the lady afterwards, has anyone actually thrown up on you? And she said, not yet, but I'm waiting for the moment. That's why I wear this rubber suit, <laughs> because it's just gross. Um, and and it, it's the nerves of waiting for the results of your tests as well, right? So you've got, you know, for the COVID test, you've got, a, I think it's a 24-hour waiting period at the moment, and you spend those 24 hours going, do I have the disease? Am I plagued? Um, or, or even the driver's test, uh, unless you've ridden over some old lady's cat on the road where you fail instantly, um, you get back into the room and they've got to add up the score, and, and you wait for a few minutes, but those few minutes can feel like an eternity as you're wondering, are they going to pass me or fail me? Um, matric exams, some of, you, some of you guys wrote those last year, and, and the stress of between when your exam ended and when you had to get your results back, those six weeks I think it was that you had to wait, and it just, how long before we get a result and you're hanging in there wondering what's going to happen, the stress is involved. And then of course there's the whole idea of self-examination and running your own self-tests. I know some of you have done this. Any of you gone um, online and gone and googled your health symptoms to see what you have, right? So you type into Google that you have uh, a headache, a runny nose, stiff joints, and Google comes up with you might have the flu, or you start, but when you start paging down or, or go through the, the various Google pages, you get to some very interesting diseases with those kind of vague symptoms, right? Maybe a fly landed on your ear and planted its eggs and the larvae have hatched and now your brain is melting. And it's not that your nose is running, it's that brain fluid is leaking. <laughs> and I know that some of you do that, right? You go online and you don't find the obvious thing. You, you, you end up looking for the very worst thing that you could possibly have and then right now going, this is what I've got, I'm going to die. There are some self-examinations that we're meant to do, and as you grow older, you are meant to feel bits and see if there are any um, unusual growths where there shouldn't be. Um, but again, if you do find something that shouldn't be there, go to the doctor. 
Um, the idea is not to then immediately go down to clicks and fight, fight through the crowds in the shampoo aisle to get to the self-administered chemotherapy bottle and go and self-administer that at home. I'd rather go and see a doctor. Now, I unfortunately left them at home this morning, um, but we're going to self-examine today, and I was going to have my latex gloves. <laughs> and you can all line up one by one, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, but we're going to do a self-examination today. Um, and, and at the end, it's a simple thing, pass or fail. That's all it is, pass or fail at the end of this morning. So the stress for you this morning is that we've got 30 minutes before you can figure out pass or fail. So it's, hang in there while, while we get there. So um, I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 13 this morning. And uh, we're finally at the end, we're finally finishing 2 Corinthians. Um, so 2 Corinthians chapter 13 from verse 5, uh, and it goes like this, Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will do nothing wrong. That we've stood the test, but that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong, and our prayer is for your perfection. This is why I write these things when I'm absent, that when I may come, uh, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority that the Lord has given me for building you up, not for tearing you down. Finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints... Send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. On March the 20th this year, I've preached a sermon from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14, the last verse. And it was about the grace of, of, of Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And that was... The last sermon, it was the first sermon of our COVID experience. The, it was meant to be a little bit of a filler sermon because the following week I think was Easter. Um, but that was the first sermon in our in, in what turned into a very, be a very unusual year. And that little that that sermon from that very last verse led me into Second Corinthians for this whole uh, COVID year. And it's been twenty Sundays now. We had twenty sermons out of. 2 Corinthians, uh, and we're finally done. And I think it's been helpful to have been in 2 Corinthians through this whole thing, because the, the big deal that Paul has been talking about largely through 2 Corinthians has just been this, strength in weakness, strength in difficult times. God's grace is sufficient for us, no matter what we face, no matter where we are, no matter who we are, no matter how we are. His grace is sufficient. But what we've seen in particular over the last couple of weeks is that the Corinthians have placed Paul under a bit of a microscope. And they've done their evaluation on him 
And they've concluded that Paul really isn't up to what they expect. He really isn't up to much at all. In their eyes, they've tested Paul and he seems to have failed the test. He's had far too many sufferings to be a true apostle of God. I mean, if you're chosen by God and appointed by God to be an apostle, then surely God's going to look after you and make sure that nothing bad ever happens to you, right? That's the Corinthians thinking. Too many bad things have happened to Paul. He, he's not terribly intimidating as, in his personal presence. He's not a particularly polished preacher. He doesn't wield power like Gandalf. He doesn't control people through the mind like Darth Vader. So he's obviously just not quite up to the standards. He's just far too ordinary. And so in their minds, Paul, as an apostle, has kind of failed the test for them. And so what Paul has had to do is defend himself. And he's defending himself not because his ego is fragile, but because in failing Paul, here's what the Corinthians are doing. They're failing the gospel. They're saying Paul's gospel is weak. Paul's gospel is second rate. And so over these last couple of chapters, Paul has really been saying, you've been running the wrong kind of tests. Because the gospel passes all the right tests with flying colors. And so do I. Because it's about strength and weakness. Not about power and control and some kind of triumphalism that always wins. And so here, right at the very end, Paul takes one last moment and turns the tables on the Corinthians. And he says to them, instead of testing yourself, so it's the other way around, instead of examining me, you need to test yourself. You, you need to examine your own heart. We're, we're all a bit like this, right? We're so good at examining others. We're so good at examining and, and, and coming up with all sorts of conclusions about our spouse. We can spot the flaws, can't we? Some of you are nodding your head. No, you're not nodding your heads because your spouse is sitting next to you. You're nodding your heads inside. We can list all the flaws about them. We know exactly what they've done wrong. You can identify everything that's wrong with your in-laws. We're great at that. We're even pretty good at identifying the shortcomings of, of that guy or that family in our church. We're great at that. But we're not always quite so great at, you know, spotting the log in our own eyes. And so here's Paul saying very emphatically, test yourself. He says it twice, test yourself. Examine yourself. And in fact, in Greek, he, he changes the word order. And in Greek, it's actually yourself test, yourself examine. It sounds a little bit like Yoda, doesn't it? Mm. Yourself examine. <laughs> you must. See, the Corinthians have been so eager to lay Paul open on a table and examine all his bits that they've never quite got to the point of examining themselves. I think, to, again, I think we're all like that to some extent. I, I, I tend to examine preachers and teachers outside of my kind of tradition and come up with all sorts of conclusions about how terrible they are, make judgments about them. And of course, I'm right. I know that, right? And yet, how eager are we, how eager am I to examine and test myself? And yet, the whole point here is that there are times when we must examine ourselves. But we've got to ask, what is it that we're testing for? So it's always important to know what we're testing for. It's no good to go and get a, a COVID-19 test 
to see if you've got some sort of brain disease. It's no good doing an IQ test if you want to figure out if you've got leprosy. You've got to test for the right things. So what is Paul asking us to test here? And he says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Not to see if you've got faith, not to see if you have faith in something nebulous, but to see if you're in the faith. In other words, check yourself to see if you're a disciple of Jesus. To see if you're a Christian. Not so that we can cast doubt on our salvation, but it's, it's worth our while every now and then checking ourselves. And here's why. I think there's a reason we need to do this, because... I think a lot of us would go, well, surely I'm here at church on Sunday morning, I'm watching online, of course I'm a Christian. But there are lots of people who pitch up at church for lots of different reasons. And for some, we, we, we come because the people are nice, because the coffee used to be good, <laughs> because the music is wonderful and Lindley has such a wonderful singing voice, right? It's so uplifting. I was going to say because we love to sit in the garden in the sunshine, although not today. It's a nice religious thing to do. Doesn't it balance out the bad things that I've done during the week? Can't God add this to the, to, you know, to kind of the good side of my of my ledger? Uh, there are lots of people who do that kind of thing, and, and you end up with using the, the, the language of, of what's going on in COVID, but you end up with this, this false positive, don't you, of, well, I, I've run a test, and surely it must be okay, because look, I've, I've, I've got a Bible, I do good things, I got christened in a dress. I mean, that was me. I got christened in a dress. I've got pictures to prove it. But none of those things make you a Christian, right? We know that. None of those things actually make us Christians. And so there are, you run the wrong test, you get the wrong kind of false positive. And Paul here, I think, offers us three, I don't know if it's three questions in the test or three different tests to run, whichever way you want to look at it, to check for, to just run the test and see, are you in the faith? But so the first test, or the first question in the test is just this one. The Jesus in me test. Is Jesus in me? We've got a swimming pool at home, and I will probably use it this afternoon just to make some of you jealous. Um, but recently, when we bought the, the HDH, it came with a little bottle, a little jar, whatever, and, and it had some pieces of paper in it. And the cool thing about these pieces of paper is you put it in the pool, and, and it changes colour. Well, it's supposed to change colour. In many ways, mine often doesn't change colour at all, but you're supposed to dip it in and changes colour. And, and if it changes colour, here's what it's telling you. It's telling you that there is chlorine in the pool. Um, and it's a great test to have, because then I know, oh, I need to put more chlorine in. I, I think it's a sales gimmick from HTH, because it always says I need more chlorine. So I think they just want me to throw more in so that I go and buy more. But, you know, you dip it in and see, is there chlorine in the pool? Wouldn't it be nice to have a, a paper test like that? I could get you all to lick a piece of paper today so we could see if Jesus is in you, right? But the papers change color. Jesus is in you. That's awesome. Sometimes we just do need to look and say, is Jesus in me? If you were there and if you have a good memory, we did a church camp a year and a half ago. Aloha, remember that. And the, the guy who we used as a preacher that, that year was Wayne Cadero, and he, he spoke about things we must do for ourselves. And his Sunday morning message was from this verse, this passage. We must test ourselves. And he gave quite a cool um, illustration, so I'm going to just steal it from him, and if you remember it, great. If you've forgotten it, well, pay attention. 
Um, he had been invited to speak at a chapel service at a local prison, at a, at a penitentiary. And so he arrived on the day to, to deliver his talk at the chapel, and he arrived at the front gate of the prison, and uh, there was no one there, it's just a door and a button, and he pushed the button, and a voice kind of boomed out, yes, can we help you? And he said, well, I'm here to, to preach at the chapel. And the voice said, well, please show me your ID. And he was like, well, that's weird, who do I show it to? And he's putting out his ID, looking for someone to show it to. And the guy said, just hold it up to the camera. And he's got to look to find where the camera is, but he holds it up. And the voice then says, great, you're who you say you are, please just follow the opening doors. It's a little bit like um, the Wizard of Oz, follow the yellow brick road, right? So he says the door just opens in front of him. So he steps inside and the door then closes and another door opens. So he goes through that door and he follows down the passage and there's closed doors all over and the door in front slides open and he realizes this is a lift, an elevator. So he, he steps into that. He's busy looking for a button to push, but there are no buttons. The door closes. He thinks, okay, now what's going on? And it just, you know, off it goes and it stops at the right floor. The door opens. He steps out. That closes. Another door opens and he steps into the chapel. He's just followed all the opening doors and gets into the chapel. He says it's a bit like being on a Star Trek movie. And the voice then booms out, welcome to the chapel service, hope you have a good time. And he, he does his service with the inmates that are there. At the end of the service, the prison warden or the, the assistant warden says to him, would you like to come and see the control room? And he said, I'd love to come and see the control room. So the same thing happens, they follow the opening doors as they go. And they arrive in what they say is the impregnable control room. And he meets the voice. There's an actual person whose voice booms out. And the, he's the guy in the control room. He's controlling what doors open and what doors close. And, and Wayne Kadera says this. How, how dangerous would it be for the wrong person to be in the control room? with the voice and pushing the buttons. I'll show my age again. Imagine if Hannibal Lecter ended up in the control room. And if you're under the age of 14, you probably have no idea who he is. So perhaps this one even worse. Imagine if Justin Bieber were in the control room. Imagine how awful that would be with his songs playing through those speakers all day long. Right? That's a fate worse than death. You've got to have the right guy in the control room, or else chaos reigns. The wrong guy in the control room opens the wrong doors, and all the crazies come out. Paul's first question for us this morning in his test is simply this. Who's controlling your command center? Who's pushing the buttons? Who's opening the doors? Who's giving the commands? Whose voice is coming out of the speakers? For a lot of us, we want it to be me. And we even think that I'm in control. I've got this together. But in reality, it's our pride. Or our success. Or our longing for success. Or it's our neediness that's in control. Our need for affection or attention or affirmation or, or applause. Or it's a victimization that's at the seat of control. Poor me, I deserve better. Oftentimes, we'll allow our religion 
to sit in that seat. And we think that Jesus is in control because religion is very close to Jesus, right? But in reality, what's controlling is just my own efforts to be good. And good old Christian self-righteous judgmentalism. That's what ends up controlling. And Paul's question is simple. Is Jesus in you? Is Jesus in the control center? Whose voice are you listening to? Is it the voice of your own neediness, your own desires, your own demands? Or is it the voice of the shepherd of our souls? Because again, if the wrong person is in control, if the wrong person is in charge, then the wrong doors are opened, and all the crazies that lurk in the dark places of our hearts are unleashed. And Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And he holds up his ID to the scanner, and we go, access denied. And Paul calls on us to look closely this morning, and it's pass or fail. Does Jesus live in your hearts by faith? D.A. Carson writes a commentary on this passage, and, and he says this, speaking of the Corinthians, he says, if Jesus is in them, then they, just like Paul, should hunger to know something of Christ in His meekness and gentleness. To know something of Christ in His weakness. Like Paul, they'll pursue not only the power of His resurrection, but the fellowship of sharing in His suffering and becoming like Him in His death. That, after all, has been the theme of this letter. So, is Jesus in you? The second question, the second part of the test is this, it's the behavior test. And I, I hesitate to, to make this part of the test because I think sometimes people seem to think that being, that what makes me a Christian is being good. And as long as I'm good, then that's, that, that's what we're aiming for. <coughs> And it becomes just about behavior modification and nothing else. And so although I'm, I'm hesitant to put it out there, I do think that our behavior is a good indication of whether or not we pass or fail the test. And Paul says, I trust that you will do nothing wrong. I trust that you will see that we're doing right. I think the point is this. If you're a Christian, if you're in the faith, then there does need to be evidence of behavior change. The Apostle John, when he writes his first letter, 1 John really is a set of tests, testing yourself to see if you're in the faith, following the same thing. And one of the things that John says, he says, um, no one who continues to sin can claim to love God. It's one of the tests that John puts out there. And he's not saying that if we sin, it discounts us from faith. But what he's saying is, if we continue to live a life of habitual sin, where we embrace with joy our wickedness and never seek forgiveness, never seek grace, never seek repentance and change, well then that's a pretty good indication that we don't know Jesus at all. But as we grow in our faith, so we come to see that certain behaviors and attitudes and practices are inconsistent with our faith in Jesus. And very slowly, sometimes glacially slowly, 
these things must change. So to be clear, being a good person doesn't make anyone a Christian. But slow changing behavior is a good indication that you may have become a Christian. It's one of the things that Paul has had to deal with with these silly Corinthians, right? He's had a lot of time to talk about all their moral issues and their moral failings. I mean, just think of the, the guy and his, and his stepmom and that whole issue and the fact that he's going around bragging about this rather bizarre relationship. And Paul says, you can't say that you're a Christian and live like that. Those two things are inconsistent. And so Paul says to the Corinthian church, you need to kick him out of the church. You need to treat him like an unbeliever. And what Paul means by that is, well, how do we treat unbelievers? We preach the gospel to them and we call them to repentance. And Paul is really saying, he, if he lives like that, then he's showing that he's, that he's a pagan. And that, 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 that he thinks nothing of his ongoing sin. We need to call him back to repentance. And so Paul's intention is not just simply go around randomly judging people and kicking folk out of the church. But rather he's saying that your love of sin and your ongoing pursuit of sin may well show that there is no faith in you. That Jesus is not in the control room, but that your lusts and your cravings are, and they're opening all the wrong doors. The consequence of the gospel impacting us, and the consequence of the Spirit of God inside of us, is that fancy Bible word, sanctification. Which just means that ongoing, slow process of change. That we, by His grace, are slowly being transformed into the image of of the Son. But what if there is no transformation? What if there is no change? What if after 20 years of church attendance, you're still hateful, racist, bitter, violent, greedy, arrogant, gossipy, slanderous? The presence of those things doesn't necessarily exclude us from the faith, but it would certainly place a question mark and force us to ask the questions, why is it that we refuse to repent and let go of these things? Do Christians sin? Of course. Do we get things wrong? All the time. Do Christians get drunk and commit adultery and murder and do drugs and gossip and love our idols and lose our temper? Sadly, yes, we do. But the Christian repents of these things, seeks forgiveness, and finds grace. And by the grace of God, over time, find that God gives grace in weakness. But the one who holds on to sin and delights in sin, and excuses sin, and never ever sees the real need for change and repentance, may well have failed the test. We need to test ourselves. The third part of the test that Paul asks us to do is, a, 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 is there a commitment to truth? Paul talks about how we will never uh, go against the truth. We've grown accustomed to the idea of fake news last couple of years, haven't we? And we're having to constantly sift through all the spin and the conspiracy theories and the political interference in order to somehow figure out what the truth is. And then there's plenty of, of guys who, you know, stepped out of the pub uh, recently who claim to have discovered the hidden truth that no one else has been able to figure out. They've got the answer somehow. I'm not quite sure that Paul is asking Christians to be able to figure out fake news, although we should be able to do that. 
The emphasis that Paul is talking about really is the emphasis on the truth of the gospel. Although, as an aside, Christians should be people of truth, and, and we really should be able to spot some of the areas of fake news and so on. So, it's one of, one of the reasons why I just don't like those emotionally manipulative WhatsApp messages that go around appealing for prayer. Because oftentimes those things are simply not based on truth. Uh, and, and I know people will say, well, it's getting us to pray, so surely that's a good thing. It is, but it's getting us to pray through deceptive means. And I just don't think that that's particularly what Christians should be about. Just because a friend forwarded you something that claims to be Christian or sounds Christian doesn't make it true. We really need to be people of truth. And so I think we should be smart enough to figure out that 5G masks do not spread coronavirus. So I need to say that. Um, or that the thermometers that we use will not delete your memory. They're not laser machines that will infect you with communism. They're just That's not true either. I think as Christians we should be smart enough to figure that out. And it's kind of scary when Christians do begin to advocate those things. And non, the non-Christian world then looks at us and goes, okay, they're weird. They believe that 5G causes causes COVID and that thermometers wipe your memory and that Jesus rose from the dead and they put all three of those things together and just say well I don't believe any of it. So I think Christians need to be a little bit smart with those kind of things. But again the big test that Paul is pointing out here is not conspiracy theories around 5G but he's really asking what is the, what is it, how is truth a test for our faith? And, and what makes this a little complex is that our society has lost all sense of what truth is. It's so common now to hear of alternate truths. And to hear people say, well, what's true for you is not necessarily what's true for me. And so society begins to treat truth as a bit of a moving target. And so, well, when Paul says here, test yourselves against the truth, you're kind of left going, well, well what truth? Whose truth? When it comes to our faith, we find that truth is not a moving target. That truth is not determined by circumstance and context or culture. We find that truth is a person. And Jesus, who is the truth, has much to say about truth. That's what we read in, in his prayer in John 17, where he says, Your word is truth. And in saying that, he's virtually quoting from 100, Psalm 119, we're, we're in, in that psalm, we read the same phrase, your word is truth. We live in a world of deceit and deception. We're deceived by people around us, we're deceived by the devil, and to be honest, we're sometimes deceived by ourselves. The Corinthians had been deceived. They had been deceived by their false apostles. They had been no doubt deceived by the devil, and they were deceiving themselves too. And Paul says, it's time to end the deceit. It's time to stop believing the lies and to instead live by the truth. Again, Wayne Cordero in his sermon a year and a half ago says this. He says, those who constantly read the Bible, whether it's through the dark days or the sunny days, in valleys or on mountaintops, when the job is going great and when the job is going bad, those who consistently read the Bible are the ones where truth is worked into the very fabric of their souls. And the truth keeps us from being deceived. I quite 
of like that. I think, I think he's got a good point. That those, those who soak themselves in the Word of God find that the truth soaks into them. For those who, who skip the Bible and, you know, don't bother, no wonder we're deceived. And again, the deception is not about having been deceived by our 5G theories, but, but the, the, the deceit of this. The deceit of, oh, you can eat the fruit of the tree. It's okay. Because did God really say you can't? Or, or the deceit of, how could God possibly love you? I mean, look at what you just did. Or the deceit of, you have no value or no worth. You might as well give up now. Or the deceit of, you need no one else. You need only yourself. Because you can be all you can be. Or the deceit of, your life will be filled with joy and happiness and delight when you get that raise, when you get that job, when you get that qualification, when you uh, get that acclaim, when you find that attention. We live out our days in a world of deceit. And Paul says, here's a test. Do you love the truth? God's truth. Not just the truth of some YouTuber out there, but God's truth. And, and him declaring who you are, that you are loved by Him, and won by Him, and safe in Him, and held by Him. Do you hear the deceit of condemnation, or the truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Him? And do you hold fast to that truth that is found in the Gospel, that the cross is sufficient and that His grace is enough. And so, we examine ourselves this morning, not to cast doubt on our salvation, but to see that we are truly His. That Christ is in us, that He is sanctifying us by His truth. I mentioned earlier uh, D.A. Carson's commentary, and I just wanted to read uh, something that he wrote at the end here regarding this whole thing. So, so some people have questioned, well, you know, should we really question our faith? Because doesn't that just lead us to, to doubting our salvation? And he says, no, that's not true at all. We should examine our hearts. Um, the truth is that, and, and then we need to deal with doubts. If, if, our doubts, if we do end up doubting, it's, it's good to raise those doubts and then deal with those doubts. And so he says the truth is that doubt <coughs> regarding <coughs> excuse me. The truth is that doubt regarding one's status before the sovereign Lord can stem from many different causes. There's all sorts of reasons why we might doubt our salvation. He says, if doubt springs from uncertainty regarding the sufficiency of the cross word of Christ, then doubting believers should be led back to those many passages that point to Christ's perfection and his finished work at the cross. But if doubt springs from our suppressed sin, I can't be a Christian because look at the terrible things I've done, then confession and, where possible, restitution will lead us to faith in Him. Similarly, if a believer is very confident that he's accepted in the Beloved and is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, not because he feels morally superior, but because he, he's able to join with God's people in singing, Nothing in my hands I bring, only to thy cross I cling. Then in that case, self-examination is superfluous. Then it's great. You're glad to know that you're held in Christ. If, however, this alleged believer is puffed up with unrestrained self-importance, 
and unqualified self-love or, or moral lackness or, or major doctrinal deviation. Then the Apostle Paul sets out three tests. Doctrinal commitment, love for the brother, brothers, and moral obedience to Jesus. If someone fails any of these tests, John declares that person is no Christian at all. At, at this point, the emphasis may sound simplistic, but for the appropriate situations, Scripture focuses on the subjective grounds of assurance, Christ, uh, your transformed life, just as in other contexts that faith face uh, focus on objective grounds, Christ's finished work. In short, when a person is broken in spirit and contrite before the God of all justice, grace comes and pronounces absolution and grants confidence. But when a person is haughty and arrogant, the product of well-cultivated triumphalism, unconscious of grace or any need of it, then grace flees. And a stern apostle warns, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. And so how did you do this morning? Is it a pass or a fail? Dan's going to come and lead us in a couple of minutes. He's going to lead us in communion this morning. And we may need to just simply ask the, the test, uh, ask ourselves this test this morning. Is Jesus in me? Is he in the command center? To ask the behavior test, has the Spirit of God changed and transformed me from within? And the truth test, do I love the truth? Do I hold firm to the truth of the gospel? Let's pray and then we'll enjoy a time of communion together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that convicts us. Thank you for your word that leads us to truth. And thank you this morning, Lord, for the call to examine our hearts. And may we do just that this morning, not to cast doubt and to cause fear and uncertainty, but to find assurance. For us to look back on the finished work of Jesus on the cross, for us to look within and to see the work of the Spirit of God within us, and to give thanks for what you have done. Lord, may we find that we do not fail the test. May we find as we look that Jesus truly is within, and that he rules and reigns. May we look back with confidence and see how you, by your grace, have changed and transformed us. And may we delight with the truth and hold firm to the truth of the gospel. And so, Lord, we thank you. Amen.